0: Well, hello, I'm Lainey, also known as Electro Girl, and I'm an advocate for empowering people to get back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. See, I was diagnosed with epilepsy 30 years ago, and basically was never satisfied with hearing from a doctor that pharmaceuticals would be the only approach to controlling my seizures. I just wasn't going to take it. Out of my way, mortal! So I committed many, many years to researching and finding an answer outside of the Western medicine approach to find a more holistic approach in managing and treating my epilepsy and seizures. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is a show about exactly that. Each week we will be looking into the life of someone who has been diagnosed with a condition or illness and has succeeded in managing their diagnosis both in and outside of Western medicine. Basically, what put them back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. So hang around with me while we explore living in and outside the medical square when it comes to loving your diagnosis. All right, hello, season three. Episode 4 of Loving Your Epilepsy Diagnosis where in this season I talk to really inspiring people with epilepsy who are doing amazing things to advocate for the in inverted commas, invisible illness. Today I'm going to be talking to a guy called Miles Levin. He is an independent filmmaker and he his aim is to really explore and get the word out about what epilepsy is and you know what it isn't through film so we've covered someone with music we've covered someone in psychedelics this time it's raising awareness through film he's done a little kind of 20 minute um, trailer uh, just as a kind of preparation for the bigger picture when he raises money and he's just going to get it get it out there So, reduce stigmas, increase knowledge, and, you know, just make people just not so friggin' afraid of epilepsy. So, without further ado, I give you my interview with Miles Levin. Alright, so welcome to Miles Levin. I'm... Pretty excited to have Miles on because, you know, as you do, we stalk people that we have interest in. And I'm not ashamed to say in this situation that I stalked Miles. Sorry about that, Miles. Does that freak you out?
1: No, that's totally, totally normal. (laughs) 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 Welcome to the internet. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Is stalking ever normal? Okay. Yes. In this case, we're all guilty. Mm, Guilty as charged. That's right. Well, you, um, I stalked you because, I won't even use that word, I found you because because I've been looking up fascinating people that have epilepsy, which um, you have. And I'm going to get to, we're going to get to the, the crux of, of your journey with epilepsy and then get into some of your amazing work that you're doing around it. So how old were you when you got epilepsy and what were the symptoms?
1: I was about four or five years old and... Uh, it started out as absence seizures, which uh, I still have. Everything from the time I was diagnosed is still a part of my world. And uh, I did not react well to medication. I saw close to 100 doctors by the time I was uh, 18, and lots of many of the top minds in, in epilepsy medicine. And no one, uh, still, no one can really figure me out. I've always been sort of the exception to the rule. Uh, And so it's been really hard to get doctors to believe my story because I just don't make sense. Everything that I've tried, something should have worked by now. That's what the textbook would say. Uh, And then I started having grand mal seizures about the time I was 15. And now I'm 27. So I've been navigating that ever since.
0: Now, as a four or five-year-old, that is, ab- absent seizures, for people that are listening by now, they should know. But what did yours look like? Like at that, at a, you, you just stared into?
1: Yeah, staring spells, yeah.
0: And how long would they last for usually?
1: A, a handful of seconds, a couple seconds.
0: Like how old were you when you realized that you missed, you missed out on a bit of time in your life through those seizures?
1: Pretty early on, I, I understood that I had something going on that was different. And it wasn't really a problem for me in early years, because I, at first, you know, I, I thought I was kind of cool. Like, say, my, my brain does something different than yours. And so that's what I would bring to the playground was some amount of enthusiasm. No one knew all of the struggles and, and, you know, the the pain surrounding it. But I wasn't terribly aware, you know, I was very young, I knew I was in and out of the hospital all the time. But I wasn't getting bullied for it terribly often. I didn't understand why it would be an issue on the playground. So why should anyone else, you know? And I think carrying that energy kind of prevented me from really getting sidelined and my parents really fought for the right accommodations in school and things like that. Honestly, it really wasn't until my teens that I started to notice that I was having to say no to a lot of opportunities socially. then it was noticing, well, there's certain jobs that I probably can't do. Oh, well, you know, I I probably can't go to a four-year school because I can't live alone, you know, so I would probably stay local. And then those things start to compound until one day, you know, you're visiting with someone that you haven't seen in a few years, and they casually rattle off the things you're, that they're up to, and, and you think, wow, I would absolutely kill to experience any one of those things that you think are just casual things that everyone does. You know, after a good 10 years of not being able to drive, the differences between the things you know and the things other people know start to become more and more apparent and they become harder to hide.
0: So it's interesting that your age group, and I'm, I'm just, just for this, I'm not going to bother with all those millennial conversations, sorry. It's the, the grand mal talk is a very older thing, you know, they've tried to change it, but, um, interestingly you, you still call it a grand mal or you, yeah, they've, they've kind of tried to change the wording to tonic clonic now. So, but I guess it depends, I don't know what's more comfortable. I don't tend to use tonic clonic cause it, it's a not like it's, I just come from old school, you know?
1: It's interesting. It really, I think, uh, there's kind of a dialect to epilepsy, you know, like a regional dialect where it really depends on on the group you're in, like in in who's in your circle. Because one one group of people will really prefer to be have a discussion a certain way and use certain language, and another group will be totally offended by that same language. Um, and that is also true. It's also true, like between disabilities. Uh, I had a conversation with someone in the autism community who said they can't stand being called a person with autism that they would prefer this this specific person right would say like I'd rather be called autistic and that that was that's a conversation happening online with them and 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 with the epilepsy community there's a lot of people saying don't ever call me epileptic you know I am a person with epilepsy
0: what do you prefer
1: I don't have a problem with either of it I always refer to myself as an epileptic as I start to recognize that I think most people are sort of going with something else just as a respect to others I think it's it's especially like when and I'm sure we're going to talk about this but with the film for example if I say that the film follows a, a character with epilepsy it's a better representation of how most people feel but like tonic-clonic versus grandma I, I, <laughs> I can't begin to know.
0: I for a very long time didn't I didn't uh, want to resonate at all with epileptic. I felt that that was boxing me into something that I didn't want to be myself. So it was—it's purely for me. It was an egotistical thing. It's like if I say I'm an epileptic, then I'm then I feel sick. If I say I'm living or managing with epilepsy, it just feels like it's a task. You know, it just feels like something I have to live with, and it's another job that I have to navigate. You know, like
1: it's an identity thing. Yeah, it's it's absolutely going to come down to
0: taste. That completely segued me off what I wanted to ask. So when you were a teenager and your seizures went from absence to to having grand miles, do you remember that first one you had and, and how that completely changed your life? Because it does.
1: Yeah, it was an oh, absolute horror for my parents because they, you know, my, my mother basically, well, not based. she became medically literate in order to fight for my health and make sure that doctors weren't going to take advantage of me or skip over my records and things like that. You know, she be, she, she was able to go toe to toe with, with epileptologists and, and, and the language and the, and the science of it. And it's really pretty, uh, excuse me, seizure right there. That was a seizure. So, uh, yeah, that was an absence. So, I remember I was 15, I was at my grandparents' house and I woke up and I hadn't slept well and I had a seizure. And just like most people, you know, the doctor assures you, ah, it's it's unlikely, that it, it, it might happen again, it might not, you know, and then sure enough, uh, it became a regular thing. And then, good Lord, we got to try a whole new set of medications. I'm someone who reacts very, very negatively to medication and, and now we have to try a whole new attempt because it's a new kind of seizure and it was just starting from scratch and really 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 suffering uh, a lot because of there was just so much that could have been solved by doing i wish they had done a like an early genetics test looking for reasons why my body would not process certain compounds and come to find out like many of the fillers and the medications is what i would not react well to and there's just so so many bills and so much pain and so many hours that could have been solved if someone had taken the time to and i realize it's not an easy thing to do but like read through my genetics pathway for pathway would have
0: so that's that's happened has it is that how you know
1: yeah, and we had to sort of go out of our way to find someone who specialized in, in that who was willing to sit down and read through your entire genetic coding. But sure enough, we found markers not for... Um, I, my epilepsy didn't, isn't genetic in and of itself, but I have markers that, like I said, I don't process certain compounds. So there's a whole slew of medications I could have avoided.
0: That's oh, so fascinating. And so that's a really yeah. good piece of advice uh, for people listening actually because that's not something I would have known either yeah yeah it, do you know a lot of people where this has come into play where they've had with these done done these exact tests
1: I don't we had to really fight to have it done in the first place and then we had the record but then on top of that we had to find a doctor who would go through it bit by bit by bit by bit and that was probably even harder to achieve but it was, it was worthwhile. Yeah. It was, it was a good thing to do. I wish I, I, there's a lot of, you know, controversy around genetics and stuff and like, who ends up with this information and that sort of thing. But I'm starting to think, wow, if, if they had done this when I was a newborn baby, my life, my life would be completely different.
0: Wow. So, and what, what's the test called?
1: I, I have no idea. <laughs>
0: it would be good to find out what that what it's called because just just to pass that information on so it was just you just had a blood test done and or or it was a particular kind yeah. of testing mm, I'm gonna try and find out what that is So interesting there's so much that doesn't meet the eye like when I diagnosed there was no talk about 40 different kinds of epilepsy there was no talk about catamenial epilepsy and hormones and emotions. When I tried to bring all that up saying my seizures are definitely tied into emotions, it wasn't taken seriously. So, you know, the fighters that have epilepsy like myself, we just go, well, sorry, you know, there's got to be a reason. And if you're not going to help me, I'm going to have to do it myself and go rogue and take the chance and take the risk myself. If you're not prepared professionally to invest in me. Yeah. Yeah was your first grand mal seizure at home?
1: I was, it was at my grand, my grandmother's house. Yeah. I never had a grand mal seizure at school. I came really close a few different times, but that's a blessing that I had. A lot of my trauma was just, you know, being on, on meds and being different and having, you know, the added, just being a teenager is hard enough, but when you're, you're on meds and, and, your behavior's adjusted and things like that, you're extra tired or you're, there might be, you know, something that makes you not totally with it, so to speak. It's, it's awful. And then you can't do the things that other kids do. You can't be included in a lot of things. You're going to feel left out. And that's, that's the universal experience that whether you have a disability or not, that, you know, people relate to. So
0: after that, that first one, did you go back to having absent seizures or was it now Now it had morphed into mal's.
1: Just both. There was no morphing. It was just like I, I still, you know.
0: Oh, you can have, have both. both. Okay. That was the other I was going to ask you. Are you, um, yeah, are you seizure-free, so to speak, at the moment or are you still kind of navigating it?
1: No, I've made a lot of progress in. Um,
0: was that to take your medication?
1: That's for food, uh, doing things to uh, make sure that I'm as healthy as possible is really, you know, I, I can't make exceptions. So sleep on time, you know, uh, just don't don't do anything that triggers you. You know, I, I don't I don't drink at all. Um, just don't mess around because there's it's it's too difficult anyway, you know. And so there are medicines that help, but they're not a cure. And so I can't afford to, I can't afford to screw up, you know, and that means that I will always be someone who has to say no to a lot of things uh, that has to say, sorry, you know, I can't, I can't join you, but.
0: But you're a filmmaker. So like, shit, who cares? (laughs) People are going to come to you.
1: (laughs) That's the way a lot of people feel. Having a disability to me, what it means is that it requires a certain element of creativity that there is a path, there is a way to be involved, to be included, to participate. But a lot of the time, it's not a path that exists already and you have to build it yourself. And that's the biggest challenge. But when you find support and you find people who want to see you get there, that's how those those paths are forged.
0: Are you living on your own at the moment?
1: No, I'm with my parents, and uh, do
0: you want to get to a stage where you can be on your own or is there still is there a fear around it for you?
1: It's endlessly complex. There's a lot of considerations, but one day at a time.
0: Yeah, well that's I mean that's the same with me. I used to want to live with people all the time, uh, just in case. But also I hid it. Our our stories are very different. I I hid it from a lot of people. I would be mortified if people saw me have a seizure. Like, you know, I'd rather have it alone and take the risk of dying than um, people to see me. You know, once again, the ego played a massive role in that. But also shame, all that other stuff, as you would know, shame, embarrassment, things like that. Do you take, do you, even though you, you live with other people, do you? Do you own your epilepsy? As in, you're in charge of what you eat. You're in charge of, you know, your routine and your time frame, or other people's kind of still managing you in case. I don't
1: travel alone. I I go with someone. You know, if I'm going to spend the night ever, that kind of thing, I have to bring a family member. Most days, I am impacted by mostly fatigue. And by the fact that I can't drive are two of the biggest things um, that impacts, you know, the, the work I do and, and the way I get it done.
0: And what are some of the great things you are able to enjoy? Music, dancing, friends?
1: The dance floor is my least favorite place on the earth. Um, yeah. Right.
0: Is that because you're like, is that? Oh, I just you know, hate you're, it. You're awkward on the dance I floor. just hate it. It's <laughs> just
1: a personal preference. It's just not me.
0: Great. At least you've got the choice with that one, you know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's going to lead me all the, to to um the things that you are good at. So you're a filmmaker, and the reason that I did find you is because you've made a, a wonderful short. Is it? A, it's a short film. You would call it in your trade. Yep. Twenty minutes.
1: Yeah. Ten.
0: A short film called Under the Lights and it's this incredible look into uh, yeah incredible i mean it's almost a scene really out of a bigger movie which could be a bigger movie
1: and it will be yep
0: oh so this was just like a this was just like a little short thing of what's coming
1: yeah so i'm developing the full the full movie it will be a oh, uh, a full movie yes
0: talk us through that miles which came first, the chicken or the egg? You were a filmmaker first and then you decided to do this or you became that because you wanted to do this?
1: No, I, I've been making films a long, long time. I started in, in high school and it's a great, very social way of expressing yourself, you know, and uh, I've always enjoyed it. And I would make stuff and put it in film festivals and, you know, go, go uh, see your work on screen and it was just this, always this lovely experience. I'm also an epilepsy advocate, so about as long as I've been a filmmaker, I've been an epilepsy advocate, and what I've noticed was year after year after year, I would go, and I would give a speech or a talk, or I'd get up on stage at some fundraising function, and I'd notice that everyone in the room had epilepsy, or they were there to support someone that had epilepsy. There were no school bullies in the room, there were no uh, employers who, you know, were unwilling to accommodate, like the the actual people who need to be in the room, are never there. How do you get someone to show up who has no reason to be there? So they really do nothing to raise epilepsy awareness. They're great for fundraising and they're great for morale, but most epilepsy awareness events do not raise epilepsy awareness, and so. It started when I would, I I went and I was a counselor at this camp for kids with epilepsy. And at first I was making these camp videos. And I started to notice that people would actually put their fork down and, and listen when the video was playing. And the other thing that I noticed was as a filmmaker, I came to acknowledge that we live in a time when people are really really interested in new voices. People want to see new stories. And in order to see something new, they have to seek out content from, uh, and subject matter that, that they haven't seen before. If you look at the LGBT community, if you look at people of color, they've made enormous strides in in making themselves known authentically and empathetically by telling their stories through the medium of film. Because people show up, like I said, people show up to movie theaters and pay to see something they haven't seen before in a way that no one is ever going to come to an epilepsy gala and learn about a disease that they have never heard of.
0: But the reason they haven't heard of it is because, and that, sorry to interrupt, but there's there's this fear of it. There's this, just this fear around understanding what epilepsy is just due to stigmas and myths.
1: That's exactly right. And cinema and television are largely at fault for those myths, which makes epilepsy really unique, I think. That if the only time you've ever seen a seizure is in a hospital show where the it's used as a device that it's meant to scare you, or you've seen it in a horror movie uh, where someone's possessed and they're seizing, uh, then you're naturally going to fear someone like that. I'd go so far as to say I can't blame people. They've been trained. They've been trained to feel this way. Um, excuse me. Seizure. Uh, so, therefore, I made, I made a film where I felt if I could tell a story that's authentic and it's empathetic and I put myself and my community on screen in a way that I really feel has never been done before, I don't have to explain myself a person with epilepsy doesn't have to explain themselves that this thing exists where people will experience it and they will see us for how we really are in real life and if you if you empathize if you watch it and you empathize for this fictional character then when you meet that person in real life you have the information you're not going to be afraid and that's how you know movies appeal to you know the best parts of us so now the results were really extraordinary it, it, it the film played at oscar qualifying film festivals and won awards and then i wrote the the full-length movie um and the, the video started coming out people sending in clips of themselves saying if i had seen this 10 minute short when i was a teenager i wouldn't have felt alone you know and if the kids sending in fan art and all this is it's really extraordinary and, uh, and so that's how I, I, I mean, I really believe if we could make one authentic full length movie, it would do more for epilepsy awareness than, than has ever been done.
0: It's incredible. I, I mean, the acti- the actors. Yeah, they're great. And, and I, you know, I've looked up all the YouTube stuff about the making of it and how you came to choose the actors. And I mean, I can't wait to see the film. Have you got the, the funding for it? Are you just waiting for time or are you still waiting for funding?
1: I need to raise a million dollars. And so it's, it's one piece at a time. But, you know, we, we try and raise whatever comes in, you know, through my local, you know, epilepsy foundation. It's the only way it'll happen.
0: I've never even thought about wearing a helmet. What it also portrayed to me was that this person fell a lot, yeah, so um, so he was covering his head for that, but also that maybe sound. So he had um, maybe an issue with sound that may be triggering for his seizures because he wore headphones.
1: Yeah. So what what I was going for was I, I this character in the film he puts together the most ridiculous device. He wants to go to prom so bad that he duct tapes, uh earmuffs to a to a baseball helmet and says, you know, nothing's gonna stop me. I'm going. And it's it's the fantasy, you know, that's 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 what I think because you can't write a story that's about all 40 different kinds of epilepsy. And if you did it wouldn't represent anyone. And so that's what I leaned on was this idea, this fantasy that everyone with epilepsy has had of how far would I go to have that thing that everybody else has, how far would I go? And so that's what this story
0: is. Did you get feedback from people that didn't have epilepsy and, and to say, wow, I really understand now Now, after watching that, you know, or, or was the feedback from, the, from what you put out just simply once again from people with epilepsy who were supportive of you?
1: So this is the really extraordinary thing is that most of the feedback is, most of the viewership I'll say is from people who don't have epilepsy. And, and the best part is most of the fan art and fan art comes in every few days is from people who don't have epilepsy. So they are, they are putting in their time and their enthusiasm and support of a community that is, doesn't, doesn't get this moment very often, you know, and, and so many people with epilepsy are reaching out, stating, you know, things like I I've never seen a movie about someone like me. This feels authentic. This feels this feels how it should be. You know, I want to see more. You know, just like you said, which is a really, really heartwarming stuff. Because making movies is fun. It's really awful. <laughs> it's really awful, difficult work. Um, but when it's for something far bigger than you, it's so worth doing, and it's so important.
0: And obviously, you don't have a fear of your own condition you know, interfering with the making of this? You've, you, What have you put in place to, you know, for those times in case you do have seizures?
1: Well, that's the thing, right, is I have to film, film at its core, filmmaking as a culture is just about the most anti-disability environment you can find. A union-protected film shoot can have a 15-hour, 17-hour day. That's extremely common. 12 hours is sort of considered very, very normal. And 10 is kind of like you're doing your crew a favor, you know, <laughs> like, hey, don't worry, we it's only a 10 today, everyone's going to be really stoked on that. So it's, it's a really difficult field to enter, if you can be passed over, because you can't work those hours. So when I make a film, I have to build a set and a team and an environment for which that's not a problem. So I don't show up at the crack of dawn. I show up when hair and makeup, you know, is is finishing with the actors and I can I can show up and I can rehearse and I leave when the last take is done. I take breaks. I I carry food on me everywhere all the time and I carry water on me all the time and I have to build a schedule so that there's enough rest involved, but the biggest thing is that I have to have enough trust in my team that I have delegated well enough and I've communicated my vision well enough that I don't have to spend any energy wondering if it's going to go okay. And that's what's taken years is putting together that infrastructure.
0: Because you were saying because of genetics, you're resistant to a lot of medications. Are you on any now or are you, are you managing it without?
1: Yeah, I'm on a couple of medications. Um, like I said, it, it really it, it's, it's really only part of the battle. Most of it is just trying to be as healthy as you can. And that's like, when, when I meet someone who's newly diagnosed and they say, what do I do? I say, see a specialist. Don't get on epilepsy social media and, and take people's word for it. You know, it, it'll make you feel bad. <laughs> There's not a lot of happiness on the internet. So uh, see a specialist. Eat well, sleep well.
0: Are there any foods that you've worked out that trigger you?
1: I don't do very well on a high carb diet. I I really need like real slow burning food. Lots I've always needed a lot of protein and I eat four meals a day.
0: So you know, I ask everyone on this podcast, but would you say that you love your diagnosis?
1: This is what here's how I wanna word it. I wanna wake up one day and ask myself the question, if I could go back in time and make myself not have epilepsy, would I do it? And I want to get to a point where I would say no. And I'm really close. I'm really, really close. And the reason I feel that way is that I, I have found a way to derive value from the experience I've been through. That what I know and what I've been through and all of the costs that I've paid have given me something that I can give other people and that give me a reason for being here. That is what makes life worth living. And I don't feel that way every day, especially when I have to turn down an opportunity or if I feel left behind in some way, then of course it hurts. But most days I feel like, you know. and in doing this with you right now, what I've been through is useful. My story is, is worth telling. It's useful to someone else filmmaking aside, you know, the entertainment of it aside, being able to talk about it makes it a little easier for someone else to talk about it. And if we don't talk about it, then we're going to sit in silence and in fear forever. And the needle's not really going to change. It is a two-way street. We want the public to be more receptive to us, but we also have to be confident in telling our stories. I feel like I'm doing my part and in, in making the film, that's what I, I notice is that the other people have come forward saying, you know what? I'm working on my thing. Can I show it to you? Like, yeah,
0: please. Well, when I bring my show to Northern California. I'll be there. The first run of it was was pretty good, but this one's going to be fucking superstar. <laughs> fucking awesome. I just have to point out your absence seizures, you, you still seem like you're in control, I don't know if you've developed that over time, that ability, but you still seem like that you've got some level of consciousness around it. Can you just tell me how that feels for you? I
1: don't. It feels like um, it, it, the best The best way to explain it is to video editors, honestly. is If, they're, if you're watching a clip and you cut out the middle of it, and you put the two ends together, it's something like that. But, you know, I have some basic sensation of like that, you know my eyes have closed and i have a basic sensation of the pressure of like maybe squinting or something like that but i just sort of i'm there i'm not i'm back and i'm uh, i have to figure out what i missed
0: from an observer's perspective this fabulous amount of control over it which i can really relate to because i do try and control what other people see to the extent of what i can until i'm not there but They were so much, like they weren't even, they were like three seconds. Yeah. The brain is just amazing. I just, I'm just in awe of our brains all the time and how we manoeuvre what we can. Thanks, Miles. Thank you for sharing your story. And yes, donate to this cause. It's amazing. It'll be the first epilepsy film really ever made from a person who has epilepsy, really, that I have looked into. And it's just so necessary to support things like this because not only is epilepsy called the invisible illness but it's also the invisible illness in the medical world no one like not much has has changed in in hundreds of years about the way they treat epilepsy except they don't burn us at the stake anymore which is nice
1: that's the thing is is that what what people don't acknowledge is that epilepsy isn't just seizures it's the time the 99% of the time you live between seizures and what that means socially and what that means in terms of the way you have to live your life. It's the, it's those implications. That's, that's really where epilepsy lives is in, is in the time in between. And that's, that's the part that we can change without a cure. And that's, what i'm working
0: miles thank you so so much for taking the time out um i'll definitely stay in touch with you congratulations on this incredible portrayal and and raising awareness in this way my hat's off to you i'm very impressed and um and totally thankful for all our community thank you and i'll say bye see you darling thank you
1: thank you thank you
0: If you would like to donate to the running of this podcast and you can afford a few little bucks a month or whatever it is that you can afford to keep the show going without ads, please hit the PayPal button. And if you've got a few loose coins, that would really mean a lot to me and other people who are listening to this podcast and getting seeds of inspiration. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that just means more people will know about it. If you've got a story that you want to share, that you've had success with, and that you've researched and found some some joy and gold in your own diagnosis, please hit me up. I'm always happy to share anyone's story. The main takeaway message in these podcasts is get second opinions, find a doctor that you really resonate with, and research the shit out of what you're going on. Get back in the driver's seat of your health, everyone. You do not need to take one person's opinion about the rest of your life and how to live it. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm Lainey Godiva.